the Psalms have always been treasured by Christians for the way they give voice to the whole range of human experience. Athanasius, who was a third century bishop, said of the Psalms, I think that in the words of this book, all human life is covered with all its states and thoughts and that nothing further can be found in a human being. There are Psalms of confident faith, thoughtful wisdom, of exuberant praise and overflowing thanksgiving to the Lord. But what if your experience was one of doubt rather than confidence? What if wisdom was the last thing on your mind as you spent the night weeping? What if your emotions are so fraught that just getting out of bed in the morning is hard enough, let alone raising your voice in praise and thanks? What if life has not lifted you up onto the mountaintop, but left you there lying in a pit? Well, what then? Are there psalms for those times as well? Yeah, (laughs) there are lots of them. Of the 150 songs and prayers in the book of Psalms, about 57 of them are called Psalms of Lament. And so listen to the words the reformer John Calvin used when he described the Psalms as an anatomy of the soul. He said, there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, then there's hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which our minds are agitated. More than any other experience or emotion, the Bible is filled with songs crying out to God from a place of deep pain and hurt. Psalm 88, which Lisa just read for us, is one of those psalms of lament, and it's probably the bleakest of the lot. (laughs) It's quite grim, isn't it? And as we wrestle with the stark description in this psalm of darkness and of despair, I hope that we will find in the words of this psalm a surprising source of good news for those who suffer. So let's jump into the pit that is Psalm 88. And here I simply want to highlight how both the structure and the words of Psalm 88 convey the psalmist's experience of darkness at the depth of his despair in the midst of his suffering. So first, think about the structure of the psalm. And you can see how basically the psalm unfolds as three cries to the Lord. So verse 2, May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. Then in verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. And then once again in verse 13, But I cry to you, Lord, for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Now, normally in a psalm of lament, there's a moment of turning or remembering, some calling to mind of the character and the promises of God. So consider Psalm 77 as an example. Just like in Psalm 88, there are a series of confronting questions posed of the Lord. The psalmist asks, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? 
Has he withheld his compassion? But then the psalmist thinks back in verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember his miracles of long ago. That remembering is like a foothold that helps the psalmist just to bring his head up ever so slightly above the rim of his pit. It's like a glimmer of light that pierces into the darkness. It's like he takes in a deep breath and he inhales the goodness and the faithfulness of God, which allows him in the end to exhale some thanks and praise even in the midst of his pain. But there's no foothold in Psalm 88. There's no piercing light that breaks the darkness. There's no turning or remembering. Charles Spurgeon said that the lone ray of light in this psalm is verse 1, when the psalmist begins, Lord, you are the God who saves me. But the rest of the psalm seems to completely betray this statement. This appeal to God who saves spirals down into accusation, questioning and utter desperation. The abrupt final line of the psalm is in Hebrew just two words. My friends, darkness. The darkness looms larger than the Lord. And in the end, it's like our friend in the pit has completely run out of breath. He's exhausted. Nothing else to say. And the language of the psalm conveys the very same thing. Do you see the way he just piles up these different words for death and for darkness, troubles, near to death, down to the pit, without strength, in the grave, remembered no more, cut off from your care, lowest pit, darkest depths, overwhelmed by waves of God's wrath, confined, he cannot escape. Destruction, darkness, oblivion, completely engulfed by the flood. This is where I am, the psalmist says, in such darkness that I might as well be dead. Actually, he goes further than that. This is where you have put me, God. You're the one who's taken everything from me. My friends, darkness. And you wonder, don't you, what experience lies behind this psalm? What sort of of suffering brings about this song? Terminal illness, severe depression, chronic pain, ongoing persecution, some form of domestic abuse or some grievous sin that lies in his past, the breakdown of relationships in his family, the loss of a dear friend, war or violence or poverty. Like most laments, the actual events of this psalm are obscure enough that this prayer could apply to all manner of sufferings that we face in our lives. And it may be that it captures some experience or emotion that you have had in the past. It could describe where you are now and how you're currently feeling. Perhaps there's someone close to you who's living through such a dark night of the soul. A few weeks ago, I spoke to someone who said that a few years ago, this is exactly how they felt. Abandoned by everyone around them, 
as if darkness was their only friend. I don't think I can even imagine what that feels like. What a terrible place to be. And no doubt there are people in our church family who have had or who are feeling this very same thing. And whether this is your lived experience now or whether some suffering like this lies ahead in your future, Psalm 88 not only speaks about it, but it speaks encouragement into it. And today I just want to suggest three ways that this psalm offers surprising good news to those suffering in this way. So firstly, I think it's good news that this prayer is here in our Bibles. And we shouldn't overlook how amazing that really is. I mean, the psalmist really holds nothing back in his confrontation with the Lord. You have put me in the lowest pit, he says. Your wrath lies heavily on me. Your terrors, imagine saying that about God, your terrors have destroyed me. You have taken from me, friend and neighbour. You might think, is that something I can say? Is that allowed? Can I pray that? But the fact this prayer is here in the book of Psalms means we can say that. Actually, it means that God himself has given it to us, saying, here, 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 you can pray this. It is allowed. Which tells us two things. Firstly, it means that suffering is not abnormal or out of the ordinary for God's faithful people. To suffer deeply doesn't mean that you're stuck out on the fringes while everyone else is just cruising along in the happy middle. Again, Spurgeon said, are good people ever permitted to suffer like this? Indeed, they are. And some of them are even all their life subject to bondage. O Lord, be pleased to set free your prisoners of hope. Let none of your mourners imagine that a strange thing has happened unto them. But rather rejoice as they see the footprints of brothers and sisters who have trodden this desert before. Or another writer says, the predominance of laments at the very heart of Israel's prayers means that the problems that give rise to lament are not something marginal or unusual, but are central in the life of faith. And so in the depths of suffering, you can take up the words of this psalm and join your voice to the many, many brothers and sisters who have gone before you who've sat in the same pit as you and who have cried out to the Lord with you. And the second thing is that this is what God wants you to do. See, sometimes I think deep down we expect that what God really wants of us is to put on a smile and to sing the praise choruses through gritted teeth no matter how we're feeling. That's, surely that's what God wants, rejoicing and praise 24-7. Don't you realise how much he's done for you? No, God wants us to pour out our hearts to him, to pour out our hurts to him, even with this sort of confronting openness and honesty. And so some psalms of lament are finely structured and those psalms do help us to see that there is a great benefit to praying reflectively, to bring our suffering under the character and the promises of God and what we know to be true in the gospel. 
But Psalm 88 is so raw and unfiltered, it encourages us to pray reflexively, to speak to God what is on your heart and mind. And even when the darkness is so deep that we can only muster complaint and accusation, God still encourages us to pray. And whatever we might want to say, He can handle it. And just as an aside, it's worth asking whether our church is a place that can handle such open expressions of pain and hurt. Do those who suffer feel like they can be here in the way that Psalm 88 is here in the pages of our Bibles? Because there is something uncomfortable about grief that is this raw. And I think it's a very North Shore thing to expect that everyone just puts a smile on things and puts a nice shiny veneer over whatever's actually going on in our lives. But if our church is to reflect our scriptures rather than our culture, we ought to be people who grow comfortable with lament. There ought to be space to pray like this, for things like this to be said and to be heard. And so may our church be a place where those who suffer don't feel like they're stuck on the fringes. May our church be a place where suffering can be openly expressed and where our listening to those who lament reflects the listening of God. Because that's the second piece of surprising good news from Psalm 88. Not only is this psalm here in the Bible, but God hears. I think that's actually the conviction that underlies the whole psalm. But while it may seem that that statement of faith in verse 1, you are the God who saves me, is at odds with the rest of the psalm, it really makes sense of all that follows. Because it's a particular sort of agony, isn't it, that comes from knowing that God could save you, but He doesn't. There's a particular kind of grief that comes from knowing the sovereign control of God over all things, and yet there you are, still in the pit. There's a particular type of pain in knowing of God's goodness and faithfulness and yet feeling completely forsaken by Him. See, all the accusations and questions of the psalm flow from this conviction. He is the God who could save me. And He is here with me. And He can hear me. And so He brings His complaints and accusations before the Lord. See, even in the darkness, the psalmist believes that his cry for help comes before the Lord, as he says in verse 13. He may not experience God's presence as a friend, and yet his prayers rise from that wick of trust in the presence of God that still smolders within him. See, to pray from the pit is an act of great faith. And I personally have been so encouraged by brothers and sisters at St. Mark's who have persevered in this sort of prayer despite their suffering. See, Psalm 88 shows us that perseverance is progress and that prayer like this is a strange sort of praise as our prayers continue to be heard by the Lord. I listened to a song at the start of the year that put it like this. Still praise is the song that I'm singing even though sorrow's my tune. My love is only a whisper now, but nothing is wasted with you. See, nothing is wasted 
when we pray to the God who hears our prayers. But how can we know that's not just wishful thinking? I mean, there'd be plenty of people today who say that holding on to the belief that there's some God out there who hears us and cares about us is just adding one more unnecessary disappointment to your life. Just move on. Just make the most of what you've got. So how can we know that the God of the universe is present with us even in the depths of the pit? Well, the final piece of good news from Psalm 88 is that Jesus has been here. See, did you hear the echoes of Jesus' own experience and emotions throughout this psalm? Do you remember how Jesus was overwhelmed by troubles in the Garden of Gethsemane as he knew his death drew near? Do you remember how his strength drained away as he was beaten and scourged, how he was treated like a criminal destined for the grave? And do you remember how when they nailed him to the cross, Jesus experienced the heaviness of God's anger at human sin? How the wrath of God crashed over him like a terrifying wave? Do you remember how he was betrayed and denied by his closest friends and companions? And how he was mocked and reviled by the crowds? And do you remember how as the darkness came over the land on that day, Jesus too cried out from the cross, why, God, have you forsaken me? God had hidden his face from him. And for Jesus, as he died, darkness had become his closest friend. And so we find that Psalm 88, just like all of the Psalms, is first and foremost a prayer of Jesus. The Christian story is that Jesus climbed down from heaven to join us in the pit and that he faced up to our darkness, that he bore the wrath that our sin deserved and he died the God-forsaken death we should have died. And because he has walked this path before us and because he prayed this prayer before us and because he wasn't abandoned to the grave but rose again to new life, and light and because he has poured his spirit out into our hearts we can know that we can pray this prayer and when we do we do have a friend in the darkness we're not alone for the lord jesus is with us now that's not going to answer all of your questions about why you're suffering in the way you are not even close And as we've seen, it can make the questions sometimes even more pointed, more difficult. And it's probably not going to lessen the severity of your suffering itself. But it does mean you're not in it by yourself. There's someone who has come down into the pit, who is still with you in the pit, and will never leave you in the pit, and who one day will lead you out of the pit. Jonathan Edwards wrote, He came down from heaven and took upon himself human nature for this very purpose, that he might be near to you and might be, as it were, your companion. Or another Puritan said, As his friendship is sweet, so it is constant in all conditions, 
if other friends fail, as friends may fail, yet this friend will never fail us. Oh, if we could draw out the comfort that this title of friend affords. And so, if you are in a pit right now, or if one day you find yourself overwhelmed by the darkness, draw your comfort from the friendship of Jesus. For in the darkness, Jesus calls you over and he offers you his prayer book in the Psalms and says, here, pray this with me. I've prayed it before. And he says, trust me. My father is listening. And he says, I've laid down my life and we're getting out of here. In Jesus, we find that the Lord, the God who saves, really is our friend in the dark.